Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello and welcome back on this July 5th when this episode is going out. July 4th is over. Memorial Day weekend is over. All of those like America-based holidays. We've got Labor Day left. How's that sitting with you? Are any of those holidays triggers for you? They're not particularly for me in these later years of grief, I think. I think earlier... July 4th used to be something that I would spend with my dad and we'd go to my aunt's pool and I have these memories of being a kid and, you know, the popsicles and the cupcakes and everything with red, white and blue icing and all those types of things. And just I remember coming home from that day, just feeling like pure bliss and having such a good time with my dad. And I think in the first couple of years, it was a little like, oh, like I'm never going to have a July 4th with my dad again. But over the years, that feeling has has gotten less and less. But we talked about in previous episodes how like New Year's Eve is really triggering for me. So I bet you there is somebody out there, maybe you, where these summer holidays are triggering for you. If that is the case, my heart is with you. As always, message me at so sorry with Gianna. Let me know how you're feeling. Uh, maybe an opportunity for you to come on the podcast before we hit Labor Day and talk about how these summer holidays have impacted your grief or how you're feeling about them now. Today, awesome episode with Candace Asafort Russell. A friend of mine who is a reporter with The Skim had referred me to her. She had interviewed her for an article on grief around Mother's Day and was like, hey, this woman was amazing. You really should have her on the podcast. And let me tell you, she was right. I connected with Candace. We hit it off right away. Candace is a licensed professional counselor, and she's also a supervisor for LPC interns, so she knows what she's talking about. She's from Austin, Texas, and has also worked with Hospice Austin, supporting dying patients and their families and bereaved family members with home visits and phone support. We didn't really get into that, but I know we definitely want to have her back again, so maybe we'll talk about that next time if that's something you're interested in. We originally thought about talking about the prolonged grief disorder, which we do, if you don't know about that, the American Psychological Association came out with a diagnosis for grief. That happened a couple months ago, kind of raised a stir. And we get into it with Candace, A, on what it is, B, what the reaction is, and C, our own thoughts. We have plenty. But we also go into so much more about grief. Candace is a widow herself. Her husband died from sudden circumstances when she was 30 years old with an 11-month-old baby. Oh, my gosh. She says, which I found really interesting, that there's a difference in loneliness. There's a social loneliness and there's an attachment loneliness. So if you're feeling lonely right now, Maybe hearing, and it could be any type of grief, whether you're a widow, widower, or just lost a significant person in your life, maybe this will help you explain the type of loneliness that you're feeling and help you figure out how you can move on from there. Couple reminders, Shop All the Skies is live, shopalltheskies.com. Head over there. You can really gift yourself. 
you can gift yourself or you can gift others with some really cool apparel around grief or some self-care items like those little gel bead masks that you put on your eyes. Oh my God, you've got to try those for when your eyes are super puffy from crying. They're fabulous. So again, shopalltheskies.com. Make sure you head over to my other website, ssfylpodcast.com to sign up for the newsletter. I'm pushing out a ton of information about the shop, about the podcast, about new things coming up and always just good information in there. So make sure you're a part of that. Again, follow me on social at so sorry with Gianna. And here we go with today's episode with Candace Ossifort. We are here today with Candace, who is going to give us a wealth of information. I'm very excited to hear everything. But I first want to start with your experience with grief, a very significant one in your life, 30 years old, the sudden loss of your husband. That's right. Which, oh my. So I'd love to hear your experience. Well, that that was the, the significant loss of my life. I was married to my husband for five years and we had our first child. We had his first Christmas and all the family came because he was the only child on both sides of the family. So we hosted everything at our house saying, you want to see the baby, you come here. And the day all the relatives left after Christmas, my husband started having some wheezing and stuff. And we thought that it was old asthma kicking up. But on New Year's Eve, he started having really terrible shortness of breath. And he wouldn't let me take him to the ER that night because, you know, you don't think maybe, maybe I'm dying or mm-hmm. maybe my husband is dying. And yeah, he was, was worried he was dad. sick. Yeah. 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 He, it's like he, he was worried he was sick, didn't want to pass it to me or the baby who was nine months old at the time. So I took him to the ER. He was still short of breath. New Year's Day of 1992. And he was a healthy 39-year-old runner, never had any health problems except for some asthma when he was a kid. I dropped him off at the ER because I had a baby and I had to get my mom to come to take the baby. And by the time I went back to the hospital, they had a cardiologist looking at him who came and met me to say, if he doesn't make it through the night, I won't be surprised. So I went from having a healthy husband to, if he doesn't make it through the night, I won't be surprised. He had a virus that attacked his heart. It was really bad. And then a week, he did survive the night. A week after that, they, he had massive heart failure during the night and they put him on a ventricular assist device. That was basically an external heart that would keep him alive now until we got a transplant. Five weeks later on Valentine's day, you can't make this stuff up (laughs) on Valentine's day. We got a heart, a very healthy 16 year old tragic loss of a 16 year old athlete. We got that heart for him and he did not survive the surgery. So healthy one minute, six weeks later, he was dead. And it was devastating to say the oh least. And uh, my son was 11 months old to the day, the day that my husband died. And so being suddenly widowed at that, first of all, at that age, and then with a child, it was, it was, it was just devastating. Losing my husband, like being widowed that young and having a baby and being so devastated was really the hardest thing that I've ever had to face in my life. Yeah. I'm very sorry to hear that. It seems very, very traumatic. Like you were saying to go from completely healthy one day and then this virus just taking over and seemingly all the steps having to go to the point where your husband had to get the surgery was 
awfully traumatic as well. It was. It was. I guess like at that point, how did you even feel? Do you remember even thinking to yourself, okay, this is what I need to try to move forward? Or were you just like, my life is over? I think it was some of both. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was mostly like, oh my God, my life is over. It definitely felt like my life was over. And like, I didn't care myself if I lived or died. I I would have just as soon have it all end. I don't mean I was suicidal. I don't mean that. I just meant it was so painful that. No, I get that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't actually make the move to hurt yourself, but if it came to an end, you'd be like, okay. Right. Yeah. However, this was one of the hardest parts. I was also a mom. I was mm-hmm. a mom of a little baby, you know, he was 11 months old. And I think you said you have a, a small child. And I do. yeah, she's 19 months. Yeah. And there is something in that mother mama bear instinct that was like, I have to figure out how to go down and through this so that I heal so that I will, I will be able to give him as normal a life as possible mm-hmm. under the circumstances because, and, and that's where that's, that's something that, you know, when you have a traumatic loss, when you're young, like that, when you have like that situation, one of the feelings that I learned is so can be so pronounced is a feeling of being torn in two, mm-hmm. because all the adaptive actions of grief are to pull in and hunker down and try to heal. And all the adaptive actions of having oh, a small a child, motherhood, are, right. motherhood are to be like, I will, I will go out and, and, and yeah. be with you. And give, I want give, to give, yes, yeah. yes. And so, so feeling both of those so strongly at the same time was part of the pain. I'm grateful that I did have my child and I had a lot of support around me so that, and I just had a deep intuitive sense that just trying to skip over it and be okay was not what was going to help my son. I was devastated. So I needed to get some support to go down and through the grief so that I would come out on the other side to feel all of it in order to heal and, and be fully present for my kid. Mm -hmm. And so I did. (laughs) I commend you on that. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we tried to say on this podcast all the time. You got to feel it to heal it. There's no way out, but through it. So good good for you and your intuition to, to have brought you to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So it was was kind of weird, you know, just that weird torn in two thing that I knew that in order to fulfill this passionate longing, I had to be a good mom. I had to go down and feel all the stuff that made me feel like I was going to die, you know? So it's such a paradox. How do you feel the sudden nature of everything impacted you moving forward? The sudden nature of the loss? Yes. I think it really makes a difference. I mean, I write about this a lot that how a loss happens can make it more traumatic or less traumatic. Mm -hmm. And that that's the suddenness of the loss made it really traumatic. And traumatic loss is a lot is a lot more devastating and a, and a different additional stuff you have to process as you mm-hmm. go through grief. I'm not trying to minimize or compare grief, not at all, but of course. Mm-hmm. And so a way I look at it, and I wonder what your thoughts are, are on this, mm-hmm. because you're also clinical in this field, which we'll get to in a second. Yes. But mm-hmm. I say the grief starts maybe at different points. So 
when somebody is diagnosed with something and yes. you have an understanding that they may be coming to an end and you know their health is mm -hmm. not able to be saved, that grief kind of starts right at the point of diagnosis and right at the mm -hmm. day that you're given that. It's not yes. to say that the grief doesn't start until death. And right. that's where with a sudden loss, that is when the grief sets in because oh my God, you didn't even know this was happening until it happens right. type of thing. Right, right, um, so fast, yeah. Yeah, so I just wonder what your take mm -hmm. is on that as well. That makes a lot of sense. I think that, that yeah, it, instead of kind of gradually moving through, it's like a sudden Gross. slap in the face. Another aspect that I would bring to that from what I've written about and studied is that I think another part of what is so traumatic and painful about a sudden loss or a loss that's out of order like when somebody's much yes. younger than yes is is not that the not usual all, life cycle right that not only are you contending with the the feelings of loss around the person and what it means for your life it's also shattering what we call self-organization mm -hmm. there are basic underground foundational assumptions we all carry every day in order to be alive that are unconscious, including I'll wake up tomorrow. Horrific things don't happen suddenly, you know, things like that. So when you have a sudden loss, it actually shatters that foundational belief that we all have to have to make it through the day. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. I like the way mm -hmm. you put it that a, a loss that's out of order. That's a different way to yes. phrase it. I, I like that. I also mm -hmm. think too, there's in kind of in line with what you're saying, there's almost this belief of like bad things happen, but you only yes. hear about them. They don't necessarily right. happen to you or to your family or to your friends because you're that's good right. people. That's right. right. And, and it's that's not, right. Not to say that like only bad people deserve bad things to happen to them, but it's just no. like if I conduct myself in a certain way in life, yes, I, I, I can't, mm -hmm. something like that's not going to happen to me. Right. And right. I remember feeling that way after my dad that, yes. Oh my God, this really can happen. Yes. And what else am I susceptible to? If, right. If the, like almost the worst thing that could have ever happened to me happened, what the hell else can happen now? Exactly. And, and kind of this feeling, you know, I hadn't thought about this in a really long time until you just brought this up, but like this protection, yes, this false sense of protection, honestly, yes. that I had from right. the world was shattered and what you've been saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's another thing that's hard if it's out of order or like when I was a young widow. So there was this additional piece in my community of the people my age who had kids. They didn't want to know. Yeah. They yes. didn't want to know. They wanted to blame it on something because yes. they, it made them feel vulnerable because it does, it takes away that, that false sense of security that we mm -hmm. all have to have to make it through the day. We talked about this on a recent podcast, and I wonder if you saw the hubbub about it. Rebecca Sofer from Modern Loss had written the article about the phrase, I can't imagine. Yes. In Time Magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's saying, yes. is it that you can't imagine or that you don't want to because you exactly. feel like you're going to bring it on yourself? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So did right. you go out there and try to find support groups and it was just like you and a bunch of 80 year olds? <laughs> You are so on it. Like, because <laughs> this was also 1992. This is before the internet, right? Yeah. So yes, I went to the Austin Widowed Person Support Group. And it was a bunch of 80-year-olds 
who were trying to contend, eight-year-old women who were trying to contend with learning how to balance their checkbook and pump their own gas. <laughs> and I was just like, oh God, I'm never coming back here. And oh. luckily the leader of that group was intelligent and savvy. And there was another young widow that had attended that group a couple months before I went and she connected us. Oh, great. So my friend, Teresa was widowed about the same age I was. She didn't have a child, but oh my goodness, we had each other. And that made so much difference, except for she died of lung cancer eight years after, oh man, you know, after my husband died. And I can say that I'm sort of getting out ahead of myself, but because I'd been through what I'd been through, I wasn't afraid mm. to walk with her all the way through that process and be with her present right to the very end. Wow. And so it broke my heart that I lost her too. Yeah. But I knew how to be there in a way that I wouldn't have known having right. not gone through it. So, right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's maybe inspiring to some of the people listening that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you, we go through this fire and you are stronger for it. And there's going to mm -hmm. be things in your life that you're going to be able to face that you would have never thought possible. That's so, right. Wow. And I don't, and I want to be clear for all of the listeners that I don't mean that that's a silver lining. Yeah. It's like, it, yes, you come out, you can come out stronger. There is a lot that I have learned and become and been sculpted into by going through this terrible thing and this trial by fire that I am very grateful for, but I will never, ever be grateful that this happened. Right. It's, right. You know, yeah. and I know, you know, that you must know totally. that kind of thing, right? Totally. So I just, I'm very sensitive to people who try to say, but you'll be stronger, but you'll learn something, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, you might be stronger and you might learn some stuff and it still sucks. Yeah. So yeah. There, wanna... there is a, some type of study that was done. I, I heard it on another podcast. I have to look up what exactly it was, but I think it was called like the eraser theory. And it took a bunch of people uh -huh. that had been through a loss or a traumatic event in their life. And it said, if we were to give you a magic eraser and you could erase that event from happening, However, in doing so, it would erase all of the lessons you learned, all of the achievements you've had, all of the people that you've met along the way. Would you do it? And no one said yes. Yeah. Like a jigsaw puzzle, but what a right. weird yeah. thing to have to consider. You know, yes. like I do yes. think my life is, like I just said to you, you know, I, I don't stress about things the way that I used to because mm -hmm. I realized the bigger picture. So I know that yes. I as a person have completely changed, but you know, would I want my dad back here in a second if I could, but it, it's right. I, I don't yeah. know. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I want to go back to your clinical experience because yes. you also dove into this in your, in your professional life. And yes. I'm a, a licensed professional counselor. So tell us a little bit about your line of work. Well, first I should tell you that I was not a therapist when my husband died. Okay. That part of what helped me make it through that time was I had been to a therapist for career consultation, you know, I, I was a, I was a computer programmer, which was really a bad fit for me, but I had been to a therapist to try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And when my husband died, I, thankfully she actually knew a lot about grief and I went back to her and I just fell into her metaphoric lap. That's a critical part of my story because I happened to find a therapist who was so unafraid of sitting with me through the whole thing. She did not pathologize me. 
She did not try to make me feel better. She did not try to talk me out of it. She did not paint silver linings or give me platitudes. She sat with me for years through the very darkest times of my life. And I will always be grateful because I wouldn't be the person I am today without her. And so I love the way that you phrased all of that. And I hope Mm -hmm. that that is something that will help people find a therapist that helps them as well, because it's not about trying to fix. It's not about showing you silver linings. It's not about doing all that. It's about just sitting there and being with you and helping you fight through it. Yes. And not be alone in it because fighting through it is terrifying. These feelings are big. And so it can be very hard to contend with all those big feelings by yourself because especially most of us haven't ever contended with that big of emotions before. And because grief actually punches up through all the ways that you're used to contending with hard emotions, it won't settle down with all of your usual protections, you know? So I was in career transition when I had my son and decided to stay home with him. And then all this happened. But I didn't, I had to go back to work. And so it was after actually about five years of having gone through this and been with this therapist who changed my life when I really knew in my deepest heart of hearts that I needed to pay that forward Mm -hmm. and to become a therapist myself. So that is why I became a therapist. And so that's how I got here. I do a lot of work with people who are grieving. I write a lot about grief. And I have a lot of strong opinions about doing therapy for grief, because unfortunately, my profession has a lot of misinformation about that, too. Yeah. You know, where, where I think our culture really is bad about knowing anything about grief and our culture generally wants to help, you know, cure things and make people yeah. better. And I think therapists get educated in the stages of grief and crap like that, where you might end up with a therapist who is trying to take you through the stages of grief or take you through the work tasks of grief work or whatever the heck that stuff is. And Mm -hmm. if you find a therapist like that and it doesn't feel good to you, find somebody else that's, you know, What do you think some of the key things are about therapy for grief? Like what should somebody be looking for? I mean, of course it can differ because everybody's different. So like what might work for me may not work for somebody else if they're not receptive to certain things. Uh Uh-huh. I think it's about finding somebody who is not afraid to sit with you no matter what you're going through, who also can educate you some about the realities of grief. Because so many people get scared that they're not grieving appropriately because of all the myths about grief in our culture. So to have somebody who can reassure you that what you're going through is normal, Mm -hmm. because people can get caught in grief. But what my experience is, is that if somebody's grief is having a hard time and they keep getting stuck in their grief and it's not improving over time, it's not because there's something wrong with their grief. It's because the grief is, is hooking into something from their history. Ooh, that's interesting. Yes. Isn't it? Like if you were shamed for crying as a kid or your whole family was just like never did emotions or your sister always stole the spotlight. And so you can't get your family to attend to your grief or whatever. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up when you're trying to grieve. And so. My take is that if 
if somebody is having a trouble where they're stuck or trapped or not able to grieve or whatever the different problems are people have when they're grieving. Again, I'll say it again. It's not because there's something wrong with their grief. I call it an AFOG. I don't know if we can, a fucking opportunity for growth. Love where, it. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like your grief is giving you the fucking opportunity to heal something from the past that might've been kept in a box your whole life, but now here it is. Yeah. And you get to heal that so that your grief can, can move on through, you know? Yeah. So, right. It's like peel the curtain a little bit. Cause it, it's mm -hmm. it, like grief is on the main stage, but there's actually something lurking behind exactly. that curtain as well. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How interesting is that? So let's go into real quick tips for widows based on okay. the experience that you went through that mm -hmm. you think would be helpful. Let's see. First of all, please find somebody you can talk to who understands how you feel, who's not trying to talk you out of it. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a therapist or a minister or a good friend or a support group, I don't feel like everybody must go to therapy, but I do think anybody who wants to should feel like they can without it being something that they feel like that only sick people do. Right. It's normal to need support. So right. that's one thing. Two, if you're widowed and you have little kids, find some sort of resource where you can get some time to yourself. And I know that can be easier said than done for people who don't have a lot of financial resources. And so I don't want to be privileged about this. I think even people who don't have a lot of financial resources to find co-ops or something so mm -hmm. that you can have some time, even if it's just a little time to take care of your tender heart, because yeah. it's a lot to contend yeah. with children and your own grief. The other thing that I would say for widows is to find some time every day, even if it's just a minute or two, to say, to turn towards your feelings. And I, because I think if you have to go to work, if you have to raise kids, if you have to function, and this really applies to anybody, it's like your grief and your psyche will know the difference between, I'm gonna stuff those feelings yeah. down and not attend to them, versus I'm going to placehold those feelings. I'm going to set them over here until I have time, give myself some time at the end of the day. So even if mm -hmm. you give yourself five minutes before you go to bed to have a good cry, your yeah. psyche will feel differently than if you're just stuffing your feelings down. So that's that one thing. That is so true. I say that mm -hmm. about Father's Day, that like when the day starts, give yourself uh -huh. some time to acknowledge that this is going to be a very emotional day and just let yourself feel it then. Because like yes. you said, if you're just stuffing it down and stuffing it down, next thing you know, you're screaming at the barista at Starbucks exactly. because exactly. they messed up your order when it has nothing to do with the barista. It has nothing to do with the That's coffee. Right. When you try to push things down and you're just pushing it off onto something else, yes, you don't get right. rid of it. Like that's, that's the, right. the biggest thing. You're never getting rid of something. That's um, right. So yeah, it's like, I, I kind of have put that on to just holidays, but you're so yes. right. That can just be every single day, just mm -hmm. to give yourself the allotted mm -hmm. time to feel it and then go on. From yes. There. Yes. Another tip for widows of any age is to understand something that I don't hear anybody talk about, but that there's two different kinds of loneliness very often widows are very lonely. Not always. Some widows who've had different kinds of situations are fine with being alone. However, 
many, many widows ex- like struggle with loneliness. I did. I was so lonely because I did not want to raise my kid by myself. And I was not going to just marry somebody to marry somebody. What I know now from my own experience and then also studying it now is that there is social loneliness and there's attachment loneliness. Social And, and society will tell you your loneliness is all social loneliness. Social loneliness is improved by having friends, going out to eat, being around more people, having conversations with friends, whatever. That is what everybody will tell you will alleviate your loneliness. I can tell you that helps with that piece of aloneness. Mm. But attachment loneliness is about a visceral bodily longing for a partner. And a lot of people viscerally need and want a partner. And that kind of loneliness, like missing having a partner and longing for a partner is not going to be alleviated by making more friends and volunteering. Going out to dinner. Yeah, that's right. And so what can help with that if you're not able to, you know, you can't just go out and find a partner. What will help with that loneliness is acknowledging that it's there and that you can be okay and have a good life and be lonely and wish that and long for a partner. Mm-hmm. People used to tell me that I needed to, that I need, <laughs> that as long as I was lonely and wishing I had a partner, I'd never find someone, oh, which, sure. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> great, you know, but what I, what I like to tell people is I had a really full life especially after the first few years after my loss, I went to graduate school to become a therapist. I met wonderful people at graduate school. I spent a lot of time learning how to write and write articles about things. Writing was fun. I had a writing group. I was a mother to my kid. I edited the newsletter at his school. You know, I did all the mom things. I had a very full, rich life and I was really really lonely Mm -hmm. and really sad a lot of times about that. But those two things can coexist and you can be okay and lonely. And so I just really want people to know that, that there's not something wrong with you if you feel lonely for the duration of being alone. Yeah. That makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. That makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense. I think separating them like that too. And saying, you know, I, I, you can have a full life, you can go on to be happy, but you can still feel this sadness. And that's okay, because they're coming from two different buckets, almost. That's right. That's right. They don't eradicate each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the prolonged grief disorder that came out earlier mm-hmm. this year, basically mm-hmm. saying that if you're feeling intense grief, after one year for adults, <laughs> And six, I love that you're chuckling already. And six Uh months for children and adolescents, then you got some problems. You you got a a more intense feeling of grief that we need some type of treatment for. Okay, I'll hold my opinions. Let's hear what you have to say. (laughs) I was ready to just go off. Yeah, Yeah. well, good. We can go off together because really, I mean, a year? Seriously, a year. I mean, that is, there's nothing magical about a year. Mm-hmm. Second, all the symptoms they list are grief, like numbness, yeah. intense sadness, loss, 
intense like, sadness. Yeah. What does that yeah. even mean? Like, I know that's what you're right. I mean, that's just what grief is. Yes. It ties back to what we were talking about earlier, that if your grief is like not moving and it's stuck and it's hurting you and you can't move along in it, or it's like lasting and for years and years or whatever, it's not because you're sick. It's not mm -hmm. because something is wrong with your grief. It's because of something historic or a lack of support that means your grief is getting stuck and not able to flow through because all emotions are wired into us for adapt ad adaptive actions. Yes. And when they're unimpeded, they flow through and they heal us and they move us along. If it's stuck and it's not moving, it simply means there's something blocking it, which is that fucking opportunity for healing something from the past <laughs> that will clear it open. Love it. And, and also the other thing about this prolonged grief disorder thing is that studies of the nervous system on what helps people feel safe enough to feel their tender feelings show that evaluation makes people feel unsafe and judged. Evaluation means looking at somebody and judging their yeah. experience. Yeah. So if you're grieving and you come into my office and I say, my goodness, you have a disorder. I just evaluated you and pathologized you, which exacerbates grief and pain and stuck feelings. And so by nature, calling this prolonged, which is a negative term, prolonged rather than normal, it, normal mm -hmm. and disorder. It's like, just the very name can make yeah. people feel bad about what they're yeah. going through or scared. The word judgment that you use is perfect because I, I think about two things with this. Number one being you already feel so freaking alone and isolated as it is yes. with grief. Yes. I mean, you talked about in your experience. Yes. You're there. You are amongst a group of 80 year olds. and You're like, I'm 30. Like, yes. oh, my God. Then you're going to be having people judge you that there's something medically wrong with you now. And then that's <laughs> going to put you in like another class of, of right. loneliness. And then right. also the other thing I think about is it takes so much effort to even trust yourself, I think, yes. when it comes to grief. Yes. And it's hard to get validation from people who are not within the grief sphere or haven't had yes. their own experience with it. Mm -hmm. And we fight so hard to say, I can feel this this long, like this far out yes. or this many years later. And right. then now all of a sudden this organization comes down and says, nope, anything after one year is crazy or mm -hmm. is, is because there's an actual disorder to it. Right. I think just sets us back so, so far. So I agree. Far. I agree. I hit five years for my dad this year and I, I did have a family member say to me, do you think there's ever going to be a time where you're not going to be sad? And I was so offended by that because I, I was bet. like, yeah, every other single day of my life, but yeah. I'm allowed to be sad on the yes. anniversary of the most traumatic day of my life. Yes. But it's like, you look at it and you're like, wow, five years and you still feel like this, like what's wrong? Right. And having the fuel added to that attitude, which I think most people in our culture have that attitude because that's the cultural norm. That's what we say in this culture where 
we're always supposed to be strong and growing mm-hmm. and getting better and better every day. Yeah. And so people have no idea. And when you're starting to try to help people understand where you are and you're already being judged by family members and people out in the world, and then we have the fucking APA come <laughs> and, and make this pronouncement, it's devastating. And I have arguments for a couple of other aspects of this. Because two other pieces that I've heard people argue for prolonged grief disorder, one is that it helps people get insurance coverage. And I still take issue with that because I do believe people should be allowed to have insurance coverage for therapy for their grief. But I just had ankle surgery. It's orthopedic surgery. I was diagnosed with an injury, an injury, and my insurance covered it. Mm-hmm. Even though it sounds like it's nitpicking, diagnosing somebody with, I have a deep injury in my heart from grief, where I still need some help and support to help heal this injury to me feels right. way less insulting Yes, than you are sick. Yes, yes, and yes, yes, yes. Yes. So if we need a diagnosis, change the name and make it an injury. And I did read an article in the Washington Post written by a woman who lost her son about 20 years ago. And she had an ongoing sense of diminishment of her life. She had all kinds of physical symptoms and, and nightmares and things like that. And she didn't know that was grief because nobody in her support circle ever helped her to understand that the loss of a child will cause recurring episodes of grief for the rest of your life. And so she was saying the prolonged grief disorder diagnosis made her feel like, oh, oh, that's what this is. This is grief. I wish someone had told me Mm -hmm. that. And so what I want to say to that is it breaks my heart that it takes a diagnosis of an illness for people in our culture to be told that what they're going through is grief. And yeah. so I, I am feeling a lot of gratitude to you and other people like you and to me for writing oh, and stuff. You, you do this podcast to get information out to everyday people about what grief is and mm-hmm. how long it can last to, mm-hmm. to help people like this woman understand that what she's going through is grief without her having to be yeah. even today diagnosed with an illness. And that it's normal. It's that normal. it's normal and yes. it's okay to feel yes. this. And it's not yes. something to be shamed of. That's what I wanted to say too. It's like we already have so much shame around it. We have so much yes. you know, mistrust in ourselves and then and then for this this diagnosis to come. But yes, absolutely. It, it, it's it's yes. all it's all so normal. Yeah. And that is yes. what I'm trying to do. Just normalize this a little bit. Exactly. Just, just, yes. I don't want people to feel alone. I don't want people to feel like they're crazy. I don't want people to feel any of the the millions of things that we can feel around it. There's mm-hmm. so much to, to mental health, which I mean, that's like yes. a whole other 12 hour podcast that we could do another day, probably. <laughs> uh-huh. But so much to mental health and comparative to physical health that you just made with that, the the relationship with the, your ankle injury and how like, yes. it's just not treated the same. And it's, it's such a loss of, of opportunity. And, and I hope that is something that changes in my lifetime that we really start to look at it differently, even like yes. in your evaluations and your, in your primary care, you know, I, I think 
it should be something evaluated once a year, whether you need to be in therapy or you could benefit from therapy, but right. it's, just, it's just, you know, what's your blood pressure? What's your pulse? Okay, cool. You're fine. Good to go. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. I really do. And to normalize, like even this is for people who lose children, I want to normalize that you will have recurring bouts of grief for the rest of your life. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't mean you're not okay. I have a client whose only son, only child died of leukemia when he was 15. That was 20 years ago. She still has a hard time on his birthday. She still mm -hmm. has a hard time when her friends have grandkids. She right. still has a hard time. When, I was thinking of like going to know, a wedding and seeing, yes. you know, somebody else's child get married. Yeah. Right. And that's, that, that is true. I think with a, a lot of different grief, as your life changes and you enter different stages, your grief yes. will enter a different stage. That's right. That's so, right. Again, to say that if it's, oh, it's past a year, you shouldn't be grieving anymore. No, I'm going to grieve every different year. Yes. In different ways or different That's stages right. in different ways. That's right. So it's, it is, mm -hmm. you know, there's, I read something the other day that said there is such a difference from moving on from grief and moving forward with grief. Moving yes. on yes. from grief is a myth. It yes. doesn't exist. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. But moving forward with it. Yes. Is possible. Yes. And like you said, you can have a good life. Yes. And that's, I love that term moving forward with grief. Because yes. it's like what I was saying about loneliness, like my client can have a full rich life that she loves and be desperately sad sometimes that her son's yes. not here. Yes. They don't eradicate each other. We have such a simplistic mm -hmm. notion that we can only feel one thing at a time. That's not true. Yeah, that's not true. Yeah. It's like when you feel sad about your dad, you'll probably feel sad about your dad, even when your kid is getting married and your dad's not there to see it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you're ruining the day of your daughter's wedding. You're having yeah. a simultaneous experience of joy. And then because you're joyful, you feel sad because this person you love isn't there. How yeah. beautiful can that, you know, it's beautiful to hold both hands. So. I know. Oh my goodness. Yes. Just wild, wild ride that we're on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I can't thank you enough. This was, this was wonderful, highly enlightening. Is there anything that you want to close out with anything that you feel like you didn't get to mention or, you know, anything you wanted to add? I don't think so. I think you did a great job of engaging the whole conversation. Well, thank that was you. great. And then I think that you will be listing my resources. I have some online grief resources. So yeah. I, that's going to yeah, be listed. I don't need to name that, do I? Your bio mm -hmm. and some uh, like your newsletter and all that type of stuff. So I yes. have that all earmarked okay. to go into the show notes as well. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank all you right. so much. This was really great. Great. Great okay. to connect with you. I'll talk with you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at so sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned. <laughs>